Well, last week, as you know, we gathered together. We voted overwhelmingly to approve not only the completion of the exterior of our building, but also to pursue the renovation and the refreshing of the interior of our building. And I hope you're as excited as we are. You know, our vision is that our city would know Jesus. And one of the tools that God has given us to do that is this building in this place. And so that means, of course, that we want to continue to to make it a place where we invite not only one another, but also the people in our city in. And so as you know, as we shared last week, uh, our leadership team, our board, our building committee, our staff have all uh, committed, have all pledged over the next three years towards this project. Between that group of maybe 13 or 14 families, over half a million dollars has already been pledged. And now, together, we want to invite you. In fact, we need everyone who calls Ridge Church their home to pledge towards this campaign, to, to pray, to seek God, say, God, what is it that you want us to give towards the maintenance and the stewardship of this beautiful building that you have given to us as a church? So I want to encourage you, please do pray about that. Please make your pledge in the next week or two. Uh, go online uh, to the website. There's a place that will give you all sorts of information if you need more information. And then there's a place where you can pledge. Please do join us as we continue uh, to care for what God has given us here. All right. Well, uh, the other uh, big news in our world, if you, I'm sure you've heard this, but the government has list, lifted all kinds of COVID restrictions, including on us meeting together as a church. In fact, they have lifted practically all the restrictions on gathering together as a community of believers. So that's good news. I mean, we've been looking forward to this day for over a year and a half already. And so here it is. So a couple things I need to tell you about that. Uh, number one, I just want to remind everyone again and thank you again for being so filled with grace. You know, over this past year, uh, there's just this uh, different sort of attitudes and thoughts around how much and where we're going around this. And I just want to thank you for being gracious towards one another. Uh, masks are now optional. They're not mandatory when we gather together. And so some of you no doubt have already gone out and burned your mask. You never want to wear one again. But others of you are still quite uh, happy to wear masks. There's a sense of uh, just wisdom in that. And so I just want to remind you and thank you again that when we get together, there's just grace for one another and this beautiful unity that we've experienced through this whole thing. That's the first thing. And secondly, we're going back from two services to one service because we can have everyone together at one place at one time. So we're meeting at 1030. That's different than what we used to do at 10 o'clock. We're meeting at 1030 and there is tons of space in this in this auditorium that we have. And we are going to have some spaces that are specifically set aside for those who want to continue to social distance. They'll be marked out and set in a different space. So if that's you, come on out. There'll be place to social distance. On the other hand, there'll be spaces where you can sit as close to one another as you are comfortable doing. And then thirdly, I want to let you know that, you know, the, 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 the restrictions used to require us to kind of shuffle you in. Uh, you had to sign up and, and not really talk to each other and sit separate and then sort of shoo you out when we're done. And all those restrictions are gone. So that means you can come early, have a coffee, chit-chat a little bit as you want to. And then when the service is done again, as, as much or as little as you want, you're welcome to hang out in the lobby and visit with your friends and catch up, enjoy a coffee. And we're just really excited about, about the, the opening up of this whole thing. And listen, we want to call you. We want to invite you to return to in-person services, to, to participating in an embodied worship service together. And the fact of the matter is it's probably going to take a little time to get used to doing that again. I know when, uh, when the government first lifted the restrictions on gathering, like you could have 10 people in your home, 
I've been so long since Nula and I had people in our home. We just were hungry for, for that. We said, we should do that. But then we realized it's been a long time since we had people in our home. It's kind of like, how do we do this again? And this sort of set of muscles that were kind of out of shape. We're like, oh, we got to clean our house like really well. We got we to gotta figure out how to do all this stuff. And we almost didn't do it, except for that we knew it was so rich when we did it. And so so we did. And in the end, man, it felt so good to be together with people again. We laughed and we talked and, and it was so rich. And, and the same for, for us. If you haven't been coming to church for the last year and a half, you know, it's been easy to stay in your pajamas and, you know, wear your slippers and grab a coffee. But there's just something about getting those, you know, getting together, muscles going again and coming and gathering together. Uh, and, and it'll be rich and it'll be meaningful. And it'll take a little while to get back to where it was. But Everyone has to kind of commit and say, yeah, I'm going to start coming because then others start coming and there's this sense like, oh, we feel like we're part of this thing together. And here's why this is so important. Because see, God calls us, he intends for us to live together in community, to walk together in community with one another. His intention was never for it to be a bunch of Christians living by themselves, just kind of walking by themselves through this life. Rather, his intention was that we lived in embodied relationships with one another. And that's vital both to our, our, our relationship with Jesus and also to the, the mission that God has given us. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, this uh, chapter that we've sort of been working through over the last couple of weeks, last week the Apostle Paul challenged us. He called us to, to continue to go forward, to press on knowing Jesus. He said, you know, forgetting those things that, that are behind us and straining on to what lays before us to, to, to attain the prize to which God has called us heavenward. And it was a challenge really to us individually to continue in each of our lives to say, I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to seek to know him more deeply. But now, now in the passage that we're going to look at today, he's coming back to the value and the vital importance of being together in community, of walking in those kinds of embodied relationships that are so vital. Here's, here's what he says, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, he writes this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, the Apostle Paul now says this. If you're uh, following Jesus, if you're going to follow him well, one of the things that you need to do is to imitate the Apostle Paul and how he lives his life, but also to imitate others who are also following Jesus well. In fact, uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about it this way. He says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, one of the ways that we grow deeply in our knowledge of Jesus is to imitate others who are also faithfully following after him. And that happens again when we have real genuine relationships, embodied relationships with the people around us. There's this guy named Don Carson tells about when he went to university. He started as an undergraduate uh, he's living in the dorm there, and he and another guy, another Christian, decided they wanted to hold a Bible study for the guys in their dorm. But they were a little intimidated, so they decided they were going to invite just three non-Christians to come to this Bible study. Two of them, three of these other guys. They invited these three other guys, they all came. In fact, by a few weeks later, in his little dorm room, they were, they were uh, squeezing in 16 guys, and yet only two of them, Don and his buddy, were, were Christians at that time. And they began to have these rich, deep, you know, conversations. But then they kind of got into stuff that he was not quite so sure what, what to say and how to, how to answer. 
But there's this guy on campus, a, a graduate student named Dave, who was really good at talking to people around faith and all that sort of thing. And so at one point, he asked if he could bring to Dave two of these guys that were not Christians to talk to Dave about what it meant to follow Jesus. Think about this guy, Dave, is he was kind of brisk and kind of abrupt, but he said, okay. And so when they came over, he was kind of busy, but he invited them in. He offered them a, each some coffee. And as soon as he'd offered them the coffee, he turned to the first guy and he said this, why have you come to see me? And, and the first guy says, well, you know, I, I have started attending this Bible study and I thought it'd be good to know a little bit about Christianity. In fact, in my university years, I think it's good for me to learn a little bit about not only Christianity, but Buddhism and Islam and world religions. And, and this is just really a good opportunity for me to, to explore religion. And, and I'd be really grateful if you could help me with the Christianity part. Dave looked at him. He looked at him again for a second, and then he said, nope, I don't have time for you. And he was, the guy was shocked. He's like, what? He said, nope. I, 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 don't, I don't have time for you. I'm a busy guy. And if you just want to dabble in, in Christianity, I'm sure there's some people who would help you. In fact, I could probably introduce you to one or two guys, give you a book, but I'm not going to spend my time with you. And then he turned to the other guy and he said, and why did you come? And the other guy, a little bit intimidated, but he still sort of plowed forward. He said, well, I come from what you guys would consider a liberal home. But it was a good home. I mean, I mean, in my home, you know, they, they loved, my parents loved us. They raised us well. They, they disciplined us. They taught us to be kind and courteous and hardworking. And, and, and I can't really figure out what it is that makes you think you got more than I've got. I mean, what, what, besides some abstract theology, what on earth have you got that I don't already have? And Dave looked at him for a minute. He looked at him and then he said this. Watch me. He said, I'm sorry, pardon me, what did you say? And then he said, watch me. He said, I want to invite you, you come and live with me for the next month. You watch what I do in the morning, how I spend my day. You, you watch what, what I do when I'm on my own, how I do my work, how I use my time, how I talk to people. You, you watch and see my values and how I live my life. And after a month, you see if there isn't a difference in how I live. And that student, he didn't actually take Dave up on that offer. He didn't literally move in with him for a month, but he did. He began to watch Dave. He began to, to interact with Dave. And over the course of the next month or two, he saw how Dave lived so differently. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. And he ended up marrying a Christian woman and they became doctors. They, they worked in Canada. They served overseas. But when Dave said, watch me, you know, it could seem like it was kind of an arrogant statement, like, and yet, and yet, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage here. He says, we grow, we learn by watching, by imitating others. So much of what is learned in the Christian faith is caught as much as it's taught. And, and, and it's caught by hanging out with mature Christians, with, with people who are not perfect, but who are seeking to follow Jesus. That, that's why in another place, the Apostle Paul talks about this idea again. He says this, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He says, I'm not perfect, but I'm following after Jesus. You see, learning through imitating is a human thing. We just naturally do it. We can't help ourselves. Uh, think of the accent that you have, whether it's a Canadian accent or a Scottish accent or a Texan accent. It's not like one day you got up and decided, I wonder what accent I'd like. Maybe I'll study and learn. 
No, no, you learned it just by imitating those around you. And parents, we understand this perfectly well, right? I mean, we're quite keen on who our kids hang out with because whoever they hang out with, they, they have a tendency to imitate. So when your kids are little at home, you can control all of that stuff. And then finally they go to school and it's kind of like a relief, like, whew, one less that's running around here all day. But then you get a little nervous, right? Like, who are they hanging out with? And it doesn't take long. Kindergarten, grade one, they come home, they start saying words that you didn't say at home and, and, and things that they've heard from someone else because what's happening? They're learning by imitating. And of course, they learn by imitating you, right? Uh, James Baldwin, he writes this. This is a great quote. He says this, Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. You know, we learn. People learn by imitating others. And it's frankly a profoundly helpful and brilliant way to teach something as long as what they're imitating is the right thing. And the same is true when it comes to our walk with Jesus. But let me ask you this question. How did you learn how to pray? Chances are you learned by imitating somebody that you were around. I mean, if you grew up in a Christian home, you know, your parents might have taught you, uh, you know, a prayer to say at bedtime, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You would have learned some of that, but much of what you would have learned would have been by mimicking, by imitating your parents. So if you grew up in a home where they read the King James Version of the Bible all the time, and I'll bet your first prayer would have been something like this. You know, we, we beseech the Almighty God. We, we, we ask thee that, that in thy mercy, that, that, thy would, that, that thou would turn thy grace and their, thy kindness upon us because of the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe, maybe not quite, but you get the idea. You would have kind of imitated that. On the other hand, if you grew up in a home that didn't know anything about Jesus, in fact, the first time you came to faith in Jesus was at a, at a Bible study in your third year of university, probably the first time you prayed publicly is something like this. I mean, God, we just want to thank you for being here today. That's it, because we learn through imitation. And Paul says that. He, he, he says this, we learn, uh, he says we're supposed to imitate others, uh, keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, what he's saying is that this, there's this pattern of life. There's this way of life, this lifestyle that comes for us as followers of Jesus. And the question is this, how is it that we as Christians are to learn that lifestyle, that way of living our life? Yeah, how is it that we as Christians, as new Christians, are to think Christianly? How is it that we're to learn how to act Christianly? How is it that we are to learn to evaluate the world around us from a Christian perspective? How is it that we're to learn to live in community and to, to give and to serve excuse me, and to have good godly habits. Well, naturally, a lot of that comes from studying the Word of God, from knowing the, the Word of God and what it means and what it says. So th this is primary for us. And of course, the Holy Spirit is a work in us. But, but that information, the work of the Spirit, often works its way out in boots on the ground, practical day-to-day -day ways as we take what we learn and know and then watch mature believers and imitate how they live in their everyday lives. You see, that's discipleship. Discipleship isn't just transferring a bunch of knowledge from the book in, into our head, although that's very important, but it's also learning how to live it out daily. And much of that happens, or at least a lot of that happens, as we learn to imitate. Such a powerful way to learn. You know, I just had a conversation uh, this past week with a, a representative from our 
a local seminary from our denominational seminary. And they were asking this question. What is it that the next leaders in the church need to know? And, and we had this great conversation. And you know, the, the, the next leaders of our church need to know theology really well. They need to know the Word of God inside out. They need to have such a firm foundation on that. But they also need practical ministry skills, how to actually do ministry. And so the best way to do that is in an internship. The best way to do that is to combine solid biblical training with, with watching others do ministry and imitating them and learning from them. And of course, uh, in our uh, uh, denominational seminary, we've got a program like that. It's brilliant. It's called the Immerse Program. And uh, many of you will remember Joshua Scott, who served here for a number of years. That's exactly what he was doing, learning both academically what the scriptures teach, but also by watching ministry happen and imitating others. It's so powerful. It's so rich. That's also why uh, this summer we're going to bring on an, an intern in our youth ministry. And we're going to introduce you to this uh, young man uh, very shortly. Uh, but the reason why we're bringing him on into our youth ministry is not just because Pastor Dan needs help in his youth ministry, although there's lots to do, but because one of the best ways to train this next generation of leaders is to Allow them to come alongside someone like Dan and to, and to watch and to learn and to imitate and to do so that he learns that way. It's, it's so powerful. It's such a biblical concept. And this is also why this spring we began something called Leverage Mentoring Pods, where we've uh, asked uh, older ladies, ladies who have followed Jesus for many years, to mentor younger ladies in their faith. And we provide for them some, some material, some guidance for what to talk about but really it's about developing the kind of relationship that allows those younger ladies to watch and, and to imitate the, the lives of these older ladies who have gone ahead, who have walked through experiences that the younger ladies have yet to have and to begin to learn what it means to follow Jesus in those ways. See, here, here's the point that the Apostle Paul is making, and that's this, we grow spiritually and significantly as we imitate godly people, as we, as we watch and learn from other mature Christians. And this really has been the underlying theme of what we've been talking about in this whole series in Philippians. It's much of what Paul has been doing. He's like, look at me in, ad in adversity. See how my attitude is even though I'm in chains in Rome. That should be your attitude. Imitate me when you face adversity in your life. And, 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 and when I have to face the possibility of death, this is how I think about it. You should have that same way of thinking about the possibility of a, of a premature death in your life. And this is how I've stood firm in the midst of opposition. So you should do the same. And this is how I've had no confidence in the flesh, but instead of pressed into God, this is how you should do. Imitate me. And this is how Timothy has lived. And this is how Epaphroditus has lived. Imitate, watch, learn from those who have gone before, before you. Because you see, there are others who would be only too glad to lead you away from the message of the gospel. There would be others, and you'd be surprised at who they are, who, who would even rattle your faith if you learned that they walked away from Jesus, if you didn't have the kind of relationships that allowed you to keep saying, oh no, help me think through this thing as we go. In fact, it's what the Apostle Paul talks about in the next verse. Here's what he says now. He says in verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul says this, there are these others who are enemies 
of the cross. Apparently, these enemies of the cross were one-time professing Christians. They were likely ex-members of the church in Philippi who had fallen away, who had abandoned the faith. People that the people in the church of Philippi would have known. See, it happened in Paul's day. The people who were following Jesus walked away from the faith. And it happens in our day. You know, if you've been sort of following in the Christian world over this past year, a number of high-profile Christian leaders have literally turned their back on the faith. Uh, one was a, a guy who led a large church. He wrote some very well-known books about Christian dating and Christian courting. In the end, he divorced his wife, and he announced on Twitter that he no longer considered himself to be a Christian. In fact, he apologized for the things that he had said and taught as a follower of Jesus. Another was a high-profile worship leader, a guy who wrote a popular uh, Christian worship music, who led huge conferences of thousands of people in worship, who now stated that he wasn't sure that he believed anything about faith in Jesus. And you know, you read that kind of stuff, you hear that, it can rattle our faith. And Paul thinks about the people that he knew in his day, and when he thinks about them, he says he weeps for them. He says, I tell you this with tears in my eyes. So what he says next is not said out of anger or hatred or spite, but rather out of a deep sense of sorrow. But he says this about them. He says, look, their end is destruction. He says, and on top of that, he says, their God is their belly. Now, when he says that, he's using an expression of the day. Literally, he says, they're now guided by their, their appetites. Whatever their appetite is for food or sex or approval or whatever that thing is that, that, that just you know, deals with their appetite right away. That's what's now guiding them. And he goes on to say that they glory in their shame. In other words, those things that they know ought to be shameful. Instead, they now hold up and say, this I embrace, this I glory in. And he goes on to say this, with their mindset on earthly things. In other words, he says, they've taken their eyes off of Christ, off of off of what the future in Christ holds, and instead their mind is only on what is right before them, right here, right now. And they've abandoned the faith. The thing is, this happens not just to famous Christian leaders. That ha this happens to regular, everyday Christians. You know, we, somewhere along the way, their thinking has gone off course. So, you know, they, they experience some kind of hard experience in their life, a tragedy or a health issue. And because they don't have a mature believer in their, in their world that they can just talk it through with and, and, and just someone who will love and walk with them through that, they begin to drift from their faith. Or, 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 or somebody says something against what the Bible teaches. They misrepresent it in a subtle but sophisticated way. And again, because there's no one that they can say, wait, wait, I just heard this and here's my doubts and, and I don't understand because they don't have a mature Christian to talk to about that. That doubt grows in their mind even though it's unfounded. They end up drifting. Or they see something just shiny and, and looks so nice. And because there isn't a mature Christian in their life to challenge them. They say, wait, wait, wait. You just think through where that will lead you if you keep going there. Because that isn't the case and there's no one to love them and challenge them and guide them, they end up drifting away. And they walk away from Christ and from following him. And they announce it to the world on Twitter. You know, you know this. I know this. It's not easy in these days to follow Jesus. Our culture is so different already from what it means to follow Jesus. That's why it's so important that we walk together in community. That's why it's so important that we have these embodied relationships with other believers as we walk together. And not just one or two, but a bunch of others. 
You know, when we get talking about this whole, you know, someone in my life that I can look to and learn from, often we think of one individual, a kind of guru. You know, a guy who sits on the top of a mountain with a big beard and just dispenses all this brilliant wisdom in our lives. We're looking for that, that one person who has it all. The fact of the matter is, that person doesn't exist. And even if they did exist, you'd put too much pressure on them if you went to them and said, you're the one who's got to, you know, give me all the answers to life. I had a friend of mine who was looking for a mentor, a Christian guy, and he said to me a couple of years ago, he said, you know what? I found out there isn't just one guy, but there's actually a bunch of guys. He said, there's this guy I play basketball with who's a Christian businessman who's trying to follow Jesus in the world of business as best he can. And he and I, we play basketball together. And then, and then we go have a beer and we talk about what it means to, 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 to live as Christians in the business world. And then this is another guy. He says, there's a different guy. I love how he's raising his family, his marriage. That's who I talk to about those things. And then there's another guy who loves theology. He's, he's so solid. And that's where I go. We debate and we talk about theology. And he helps me understand the Bible better. And he said, I don't have one guy. I just have a couple of different guys that I talk to. And notice that the kind of relationship that he have is not, it's not a formal mentor-mentee relationship, like we're doing this exactly like this. And there is a place for that. And that's a valuable thing if you can find that. But much of the relationships are just casual, playing basketball and going for a beer afterwards, meeting for lunch and enjoying a lunch together and just talking or going camping together and fishing and hiking and, and sitting around the campfire. And then, and then the conversation just being this natural thing that leads to... How exactly do you do this? What, what does this look like for your life? And have those kinds of conversations about, about following Jesus. Neil and I have had, done this kind of thing. You know, we've watched others who have raised their kids so well. Their kids are just loving Jesus and following them. And we get to know them a little bit. We, we sit down and we say, man, we love how you've raised your kids. What are you doing? And, and we start asking, I mean, why did you send them to Christian school? Or why did you choose not to send them to the Christian school? And, and how do you discipline them? And, and, and how do you get them to follow Jesus? I mean, family devotions, not family devotions, what have you done? And they're the first to admit they haven't done it perfect, that they didn't do it all right. They, they share not only their successes and how they think about it, but also some of their failures. You know, it's so good for us. I mean, we laugh at their stories and we, and, you know, we, we, we say, now that's a brilliant idea. And we go home and say, we're doing some things right, but that was a good idea. Let's start doing that. But that sort of thing, that happens in community. That happens in relationships. And in many ways, it's more important than ever that we're in these kinds of relationships. You know, our culture, at one point, at least generally, although it was not overtly Christian, at least held to general Christian principles. But that's not the case anymore. I mean, in many ways, our culture promotes profoundly unchristian or anti-Christian principles. And therefore, it is more important than ever that we have models that we can look to. I mean, so many people have not grown up in a Christian home, but are now following Jesus. And if they didn't grow up in a Christian home, or if it wasn't a great example, where do they learn how to raise their kids to follow Jesus? Where do they learn what a Christian marriage looks like? Obviously, the scriptures give the principles, but where do they learn like, what it looks like day in and day out? What it looks like when there was a fight. What it looks like around finances. That's by watching and imitating other Christians. Well, where do we learn? Where do we learn how to die well? Who, who do we watch for that? Who, who do we watch to learn how to grieve well? Uh, 
Who, who will teach us how to disagree with one another without end up, ending up going to war with one another? Who will teach us how to be in community in a church over the long haul, through the bumps that come along the way in the life of a church? The people who do that, that's the mature Christians. We need to know those people. You need to find those people in your life and build relationships with them. They don't have to be formal, fancy mentoring relationships, but then you need to just ask the questions. But, and this is the other side of that coin, you also need to be that to other people. You know, in my years of, of ministry, I've often asked, you know, mature Christians if they would mentor someone else. And almost always they tell me, no, no, I couldn't do that. I mean, who am I? I I'm not, you know, I haven't been mentored. No one's done that for me. But the fact of the matter is, if, if you don't mentor the next generation, then they say the same thing and it, it carries on that way. And you don't have to be perfect. It's not about you being perfect. Even Paul wasn't perfect. It was about saying, as best as I can following Jesus, this is what I'm doing. And, and, and for what I've got, what it's worth, I share it with you. Not all ministries are about getting up and teaching and preaching. In fact, not many have that kind of opportunity. And yet some of the richest, most significant, life-shaping ministry happens in the context of relationships with one another. In those little conversations that happen here and there in the midst of real life, live together in community. That's why at Ridge Church, there's three things that we're just all about. Jesus, community, and city. Jesus, number one, first and foremost. Everything that we do ultimately is about Jesus and because of Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus first. But then also city. You know, we live in this city and Jesus has given us his mission to go and make disciples of all nations, beginning right here with this city. And so we have this, this vision, this mission to reach our city. But in the middle of that, the, the, the connection between those things is this community, this walking together with one another. Community is so vital in our relationship with Jesus. And as we're going to see next week, it is so necessary in the mission that God has given us to reach our city. So as we enter into this post-COVID world, thank God, praise God. But as we enter into this post-COVID world, let's recommit to being engaged in embodied community with one another for the sake of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. We want to end by sharing communion together. And so I want to invite you again to, to gather uh, some elements, to take the elements that you have. And communion really is, again, something that we do together in community. It's something that we share together. And, and so I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to grab some, something that represents the bread and something that represents the, the wine, the cup, and, um, and, to, and to pass that out if you're together with others and to take that bread. And I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to share communion together. And I want to invite you first to take the bread and to take a moment and to uh, remember what Jesus has done for you. This is a moment where it's good to confess your sins. If there's sin between you and, and God, confess that sins, but also to remember that we're called to walk in community. And so if there's sin between you and someone else, if there's hard feelings, if there's something that you need to repent of, if there's something that's not right, I also want to invite you to take a moment and to make that right um, before God and later this today or this week with that other person. So let's take a moment right now.
The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this whenever you do in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant that is in my blood. And it's because of Jesus' shed blood that we can be in a covenant relationship with, with God himself, that we, that we can enter into his presence, that we can have a right relationship with him, that we can know that we spend eternity together in, in glory with him. He says, this cup is the new covenant that is in my blood. Drink this whenever you do in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. God, on this day again, wherever we find ourselves, God, we, we partake in communion because it's something that Jesus calls us to. We partake in communion because it symbolizes Jesus' death on the, on the cross in our place. Because it reminds us of the incredible sacrifice that he has made, but also reminds us that we're in a covenant relationship with you, God. Because of Jesus, we can know you and live for you and walk with you, both as individuals and together as a body of believers, as a community of believers. And so, God, on this day again, as we take communion, God, we commit to follow you wholeheartedly, regardless of the cost. Wherever it is you lead us, no matter what you lead us through, God, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So we give ourselves again to follow you, and we thank you for what Jesus has done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.